Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. The views and opinions of this show are directly those of the hosts and its guests. It does not reflect the opinions of its affiliates or its sponsors. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views. And it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens... When the mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view, <laughs> something epic. This is Paratroop Radio. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And we've got a very, very interesting episode for you guys. Uh, I think Eric and I have said this multiple times already, bringing Stephen Lancaster on, but we've never done a full episode of a possessed doll. Um, on top of the fact that Stephen is actually ha- has firsthand knowledge, she, he has this doll and has had experiences with this doll. So um, it's going to be an interesting conversation. He wrote Norman and Norman 2. The true story of a possessed doll's revenge is the subtitle of Norman 2. Author and... This is the hardest word I'll ever say. Phenomenologist (laughs) Stephen Lancaster (laughs) has been involved in the field of paranormal research since 1997, conducting investigative work for politicians, military facilities, the Board of Education, museums, commercial locations, businesses, television, and civilian properties. His research is recognized by the U.S. government. Uh, Lancaster has a plethora of knowledge across cryptozoology, ufology, history, and ghosts, and hauntings. In 2004, he formed the Pitt Crew Paranormal Investigation Team, comprised of veteran paranormal researchers, law enforcement, former military, and medical professionals. The research of the pit was chronicled through Monster Vision TV, Lancaster's literary works, and various network television programs. He has appeared on Monster Vision TV, NBC Universal's Shocking Scary Paranormal Videos, A&E Biographies, My Ghost Story, and Travel Channel's A Haunting Twice. Uh, Stephen also appears in Amazon Prime's Phantom, The Haunting of Brentwood Wine Bistro, a paranormal documentary revolving around the most haunted restaurant in the world. Since 2010, through Llewellyn Worldwide, he has published four books chronicling his work in the field of paranormal research. 2022 will see the release of his latest work, The Haunts and Haunt. I'm sorry, The Haunts and Hates of North Carolina. He currently can be heard hosting the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk podcast. And with further ado, we'll go to the line with Stephen Lancaster. Stephen, welcome to Paratruth Radio. How are you doing tonight? I am fantastic. It's North Carolina. It's like 30 degrees. Tomorrow it'll be 90. It's, it's a uh, <laughs> North Carolina's paranormal in itself. That's why I live here. <laughs> well, that whole East Coast is one of the oldest parts of the country. So yeah, I would believe it. Um, 
so uh, before we get like in depth with your story, um, tell us a little bit about how you came into uh, owning Norman and uh, kind of what made you want to write about it. Oh God, you just jumped right. You just jumped right to the big gun. <laughs> <laughs> no weaning into that norman um i'm a collector uh uh what you guys can see on this video feed is is the haunted section <laughs> of my studio the, the a lot of these things are items that clients have given me because they believed that was the source of the activity so the stuff came here but what you don't see are the museum cases of vintage Star Wars and Batman and all this other stuff. So I'm always looking for uh, particularly antique toys. And my wife and I, just about every other weekend, we do about a, a three-hour circle of all these vintage shops and thrift stores. And anyways, long story short, we came across this one store really huge. It was like a... Um, an airplane hanger, okay, that was a, an antique shop. That's how big it was, kind of like being in a, in a Walmart. And I, I look up and I see this really interesting wooden box. And it was sitting in a high chair, but it was well without reach. Like customers were not to be messing with this thing. Um, but the building was so big, just had a couple elderly ladies working the front. She couldn't see me. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to pull this box down because I want the box pull the box down and the lock is broken off of it. So I'll pull out a little pin knife and pop it open. And there is this 1962 Maddie Mattel doll. And in the box itself was unique. There, there was um, handwriting all on the inside of the box, but in different handwriting, like it wasn't the same person that had written it. So the box was kind of its own story. So all I saw at that moment was 1962 vintage Maddie Mattel doll. You know, this is the same doll, the face that later, you know, became Casper and Chatty Cathy. It was all the same face. They just kind of changed the doll's look and I uh, took it up to the front. And the woman was kind of reserved at first to sell it. Like she was almost surprised I even had it in my hand. And uh, after a few minutes of awkwardness, um, she, she came across or, or she said one of the coolest lines I've ever heard anybody say, you know, because I said the thing looks like hell, you know, why would you want to keep this thing? And she said anything that looks like hell was bound to come from it. And I was like, OK, you, you've got my attention here. Let me introduce myself. So I tell her, you know, I'm an author, paranormal researcher, all this stuff. And, and just to kind of cut it down, I offered five dollars for this doll and she's she sold it to me. So we get it home and I named it Norman just because he didn't look normal to me. You know, he, and that kind of later had a double meaning because once I learned that he was haunted, that there was an attachment to him, um, he was nor man nor toy, you know, he, he was Norman. So it kind of <laughs> just worked out name wise, but he's really a Maddie Mattel doll. And, uh, Things would periodically happen in the house anyway, um, just because we're very active investigators. And I believe in spiritual magnetism. The longer you're at a location, you can kind of bring that home with you, um, that kind of thing. Plus, a lot of these allegedly haunted items, it's nothing to have something happen. You know, nothing epic, just little subtle things, knocking, whispering. 
Well, these things started to escalate and it just more and more started to point towards this doll. And uh, I have the luxury of uh, sitting at home because I write, I have manuscript deadlines and all that. So I could literally dedicate 24 seven to researching this doll. And that's exactly what I did. And I, I just, kept track of everything i'm so um meticulous about documenting stuff and uh, i was on a three book deal already with Llewellyn worldwide and norman changed all that when when i when i signed to Llewellyn in 2009 the deal was my books were going to chronicle my investigations where each chapter was a different case a different place you know one in one out you're going to the next story well mm -hmm. i finished my third book which only had norman as a chapter and uh basically the first few accounts with him and immediately my my acquisitions editor hits me back and says can you make norman an entire book and i was like well as a researcher you've got to give me more time like, I need at least a solid year with this thing before I can write an entire book about it, if it even produces that kind of material. Mm -hmm. And they agreed to it. They wanted the story of Norman so bad. And it went actually about a year and a half. And I, I got them the, the first uh, Norman manuscript and then kept researching him for now five years now, I guess. And uh, that one did so well. And I, of course, kept researching the doll. I had another book, you know, more. Here's here's bringing everybody up to date. Here's Norman, too. This is where it's at now, you know. So let's step back a little further, because you, you have all this haunted stuff. You write these paranormal books. You have Norman. What got you into the paranormal originally? What was your experience that you're like, all right, I'm dedicating the rest of my life to this? This is this is such a cool story. You're Eric, right? Okay, Eric, yeah. this, this is such a cool story because I grew up in a very strict military Baptist home. I went to Calvary Christian Academy during school. You did not talk about this kind of stuff. And, and when I was 10 years old, I slept in bunk beds with my brother. And I, of course, I, there was a five-year difference between the two of us. So I was older. I got the top bunk. That was just how it was going to be, you know? So my brother and I were kind of pranksters and in the middle of the night, I kind of felt something tugging on my ankles, like, you know, the, the blanket below, you know, towards the foot of the bed. And I wake up and I just think it's my brother and I lean over the rail and I look over and he's appears to be fast asleep. So I'm thinking, yeah, okay, whatever. So I doze back off. The same thing happens again, but this time it's, it's a little harder, a little more force to it. I immediately jump up, look over the bed. He's fast asleep. I'm thinking, okay, there's no way he's moving that fast. And this happens a few more times, probably over the course of an hour. And then it gets to the point where there's no denying. It was like something grabbed my ankle and just, I slid on the bed a little bit, maybe, maybe four to six inches. So I sat up and the moment I sat up, something grabbed me by both wrists that I couldn't see. To the point where I could see the indentations, like, you know, when you press on your skin and I was powerless, completely powerless. I was trying to scream. I was trying to pull back. I couldn't do anything completely drained. So th this went on for, for what felt like forever. But 
finally it it let go and i was pulling so hard that i flew back and my head hit that hard it broke it oh and at that moment that's when i was able to scream and i'm of course at 10 years old yelling for my mom and dad they come running into the room they dismiss it as a nightmare what it was it was a nightmare well from that point forward for the next 10 years let's say yeah it was 10 years all i did was read like i'd find on parapsychology cryptozoology ufology whatever if i but i had to sneak this stuff into the house because this material was taboo okay not only in my household but just where i grew up back then people didn't talk about the paranormal like are today right today everybody wants to tell their story but back then you just didn't talk about that stuff so Mm -hmm. i researched it until about 97 and basically i was i think i was 19 and um i I remember my neighbor coming to me he's like hey dude you're into all this paranormal stuff look he's like i've got something going on but don't tell anybody you know can you come check it out don't tell anybody again even in 97 people didn't want it out there that that a ghostbuster as as you know we tend to get called um <laughs> is doing this stuff so i started taking cases for people around my hometown and then eventually i moved to new york for a little bit took cases there then i moved south to the Myrtle area i ran that circuit for probably 10 years taking cases eventually forming a team um eventually doing my first book in in 2009 but the interesting point to that story is after I released my first book, uh, my family came down to Myrtle Beach for Thanksgiving. And we're, we're all sitting around the table and, you know, mom and dad, they're, they're talking about how proud they are, which is a total 180. You know, it's like, wait a minute, you're proud of me. My mother, it's giving me chills every time. Um, she said, you know, Stephen, what happened to you at 10 years old? The same exact thing happened to me. Oh. And it took... 20 years for her to tell me that and that that just added a little more validity to it you know i i went into the field to find out why why that happened to me and what was it i wanted to know everything and then 20 years later to find out from my own mother that the same thing happened to her and then my dad started opening up oh honey you remember how haunted your aunt whoever's house was like where was all this where was all you know, this we weren't supposed to be talking about this stuff. Like, God forbid, bring in a Marilyn Manson album. You know, it was it was that kind of <laughs> upbringing. But now it's like every time I talk to him, what's going on? He been in any cool places now? You, you know, what else have you seen? It's just, it's just amazing. But I guess when you think back to it, you, what would you tell a 10 year old? You know, right, well, that right. probably was a demon. But you just go back. To sleep, <laughs> you know, so I can't hold it against them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that's the same thing with my parents. Um, I, I didn't have quite the same upbringing, but uh, my sisters and I always experienced haunted stuff in our house and right now, actually. Uh, and my parents, my mom, especially who grew up in this house, said nothing, there's no nothing here. It's all your mind, whatever. And then probably when I was about 16, 17 years old, uh, my mom and my uncle, they were drinking and we started talking about ghosts and all of a sudden they both of them start talking about oh remember how haunted this house was when we were younger and we're like what you said it's not and they're like oh we were just we're lying it, it's really haunted so it was just crazy like I, it's weird you know and i'm sure it's a way for family members to protect the children because you know as a 10 year old it's scary enough that you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with but then to feed it that would just be right dangerous. oh absolutely um, 
So, sorry, Justin, I'm going to cut in with one more question real quick. Hey, y'all, um, don't mind, y'all don't mind if I smoke in here, do you? No. um so regarding because now you said that you had the experience experience as well the same experience uh did you trace or try to trace back experiences see how far it went back in your own family because you know there's this idea of obviously like uh spirits that run the bloodline and stay with that family for generations to an extent um my brother still to this day is not a believer Okay, And he has witnessed things. There, there are things I wrote about in my first book that he was a part of, and he will still deny it to this day. Um, like I say, I come from a very religious upbringing. I have four uncles that are Baptist preachers. So they, they're not given, they're not giving up anything. You know, they, they, in their mind, they're very, um, I'll just tell you my, my, my one uncle, he thinks what I do is devil worshiping. <laughs> literally thinks that that i'm like that's what you really think i do you know there's like memes that you see like what my friends think i do <laughs> yeah, what, right. what my uncle who's a, a baptist preacher thinks i do what i really do you know i'm like i'm, I'm satan worshiper really you know yeah. but that's just their frame of mind so some of my family you can talk about you can talk about that stuff with some of that you can't but no there's not really anything that that I have found um, as far as, you know, some kind of, I, I don't know what you want to call it. Right. Know, magical tie to the supernatural. I, I don't know. Right. Well, uh, I mean, I honestly feel Eric and my family have paranormal um, ties that go back a long ways. But like Eric said, it was never talked about. Um, I don't think grandpa, and grandma Cancellari ever talked about anything and grandpa came from the old country he came from sicily to here um and it's just one of those things in the old country you don't talk about you just warred against it where here you don't talk about it and you 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 just there's no such thing as the parents, at least back in the day but um moving back into the norman and norman two, so You've had quite an experience with Norman, and in Norman 2, you talk about how this doll actually set fire to itself and your barn, I believe. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. That, uh, oh, geez. It's it's weird to relive this kind of thing, but... um... Oh, I'm sure. It's I still to this day don't want to believe half of it. And and if somebody else were telling me this stuff, I'd be a yeah, whatever, man. You know, there's mm-hmm. just there's just no way. But fire seems to really be the the trigger. And if you take into account his backstory, um, he was found with a little girl. Uh, she lost her mother. Uh, She lost her household pet. She lost a dog. Um, The house was essentially burnt to the ground and she was found outside by authorities at six or seven years old. I got to watch what I say because some of this I had to change, but um, holding this doll, Maddie Mattel and see Maddie Mattel was actually given to her mother as a gift in uh, the hospital. She was supposed to have twins and she didn't. The boy was a stillborn, but the daughter lived. 
So Maddie Mattel was a gift. And of course, the girl kept the doll. And you guys want to talk about connecting things. My wife was supposed to have twins. The boy died and the daughter lived. Wow. So that whether or not that has anything to do with anything, it's an interesting coincidence to say the mm-hmm. least. But fire has, has always been some kind of trigger with Norman. And I, and I think it has to do with that initial fire and not so much with the, with the first book, but it got really, really, really dangerous. Um, as I continued to monitor him, um, depending on what you read on Norman or what you saw on TV, like most of the stuff on TV is only 25% of the, the entire story up to this point, or at least up to where I've stopped. And it confuses people because there are people who watch the shows and people who read the books or people who read the books, don't watch. but the people who watch the shows are like, why is his face burnt? You know, well, you got to read, you got, you know, we haven't, I guess TV hasn't got to that part, but right. you know, they see it and there, there's all this stuff. Hard. But anyways, we have surveillance throughout the house inside and out because of Norman. Um, Cause that was the best way to document the things that he was doing. And with having a lot of animals, it's good to use that to dismiss, hey, it was just the dog coming through the room or, you know, the cat did something. The cats are always doing something. But he um, he has killed many animals, I believe. I've never physically seen it, but it's just too coincidental. Um, the, the fire that he set to himself, if I wouldn't have been awake and looked at, because I don't I know if you guys are familiar with surveillance, but you know when it, it's it, it it switches over to infrared. The screen kind of goes bright for a second. Mm, right. Well, right. our screens in our about my eye, and I look over into this room that we had put Norman in, and he's on fire. Well, the the, the carpet under him is on fire. And if if we wouldn't have been awake, this house would have burnt to the ground. So of course I run in there. I actually use him to beat the fire out. <laughs> I mean, it sounds funny to say it now, but it, it was, it was really scary at the time. And, uh, he gets burned, you know, he's melted and all that stuff. And then of course we get this mysterious fire out back where we got the horse and stuff and that burns to the ground. And, uh, we did a really cool experiment with Norman. Um, cause up until the point I'm about to tell you, everything done with him was here at the house. Well, when I went to Virginia to film a haunting for the first time, when they wanted to do the haunting on Norman, I assumed they wanted Norman. (laughs) So I brought Norman with me. That wasn't the case. (laughs) They said, no, do not bring that doll in this studio. We don't want anything to do with that doll. We are recreating the doll for the show. I mean, they, oh, okay. Well, somebody could have told me that, you know. Right. But we had the doll. We had the doll there. And uh, a colleague of mine, Darren Evans, uh, he's real big into demonology, mostly the Ouija board stuff. And um, I said, hey, man, you know, because he was one of the few people that I had shared all this research with the videos and all this stuff. And uh, I said, why don't we do kind of an impromptu investigation? This is the first time that Norman's been away from the house. Let's see what he can do kind of outside of that comfort zone so my wife's there darren's there and we filmed probably four to five hours and it is to this day the best communication session i've ever documented 
And I, 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 of course, whittled it down to about 30 minutes and threw it up on YouTube. So if anybody out there wants to watch it, you can go watch it. But it's one thing to get a response here or there and kind of make it go with what you were saying, you know, find some reason mm-hmm. to connect. But these were blatant responses. I mean, blatant responses, saying things there's no way. I mean, the doll don't even talk. It's not it's not electronic in any way, you know, so it's but that's bizarre to begin with. But every time Darren would bring like the the lighter close to him, he would say fire. Or he would say hell or he would say no or he would say burn. I mean, or, or you know, he, he dislikes me. So he would say dead or kill. It's a really interesting communication session to watch. And we did that the night before filming a haunting. And I remember going into to film my my part for the show and I'm telling the producer about it. I said, you got to see this video. I know you guys don't do the investigation show kind of thing. You know, it's all recreation, but you got to see what we got last night. And they ended up taking like 10 minutes of that footage and actually weaving it into the episode because it's just that awesome. Right. So it's there's there's just a lot out there with him and, and there there's more that that'll eventually be released. But fire is definitely a trigger, no doubt. Hmm. That's interesting. So have you found that um, like the, the more time you spend with him, the more talkative he's become? Like, is there like a comfort between you two now? Is it changed from when you first got him to years later? No, there, there's no comfort. Um, okay. <laughs> I think. Uh, I don't mean that in a <laughs> relaxed <laughs> setting, but. <laughs> now, typically, you know, my colleagues would tell you I'm the run right at it guy. I mean, run right at it. When everyone's running the other way, I'm like, well, well why? You know, this is why we're here. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it never made sense to me, but th- it probably wouldn't be as bad if it was just me. But when we're dealing with all of our animals, my wife, grandkids, you know, stuff like that. My, I have two of my grandkids that aren't allowed in this house anymore because of Norman. Wow. You know, if you've seen that surveillance footage of him sitting on the bed and he's like looking around. This doll whose neck doesn't do that. Yeah, his parents said, nah, <laughs> no, <laughs> they, they're not coming over no more. Y'all can come over here. So it it's, I guess if it was just me, it would probably be different. But yeah. it, it seemed that he likes the attention. I'll admit that, you know, the more attention you give him, but you got to be careful because this, this is a different this is like, you know, I believe in that spiritual magnetism and attachments and stuff like that. Um, mm. I have never come across an object that is not only haunted, but clairvoyant, mm. if that makes sense. Um, he has predicted things and then they happen. I mean, literally like on, on, I mean, like for instance, during that communication session that we did in Virginia with him, he kept saying a, a particular person's name and death and kind of everything that goes along with it. The next day, we find out that Darren's radio co-host hanged himself in his closet at the same time we were investigating Norman. And that was the name that Norman kept saying. Well, Stuff like that has led me to believe, okay, he's got some kind of connection. Now, now, the book, the second book gets into a little bit of how I've actually used him. I've used the paranormal 
to investigate the paranormal. I have taken him to locations that I have proven over time that is haunted and taken him in there as a communication tool. And it has worked every time. So the worry is I've seen him put kids in trances. He put my grandson in a trance. I've been locked into a trance with him. So, and this, this is, I wish you guys knew me for the past 20, cause this is not like me. I don't buy into this stuff. Like if somebody else were telling this story, I would not believe it. So that's what's, that is what has made me so intrigued with him is okay. He can somehow predict things. He can manipulate everything around us. Um, this is a plastic doll with no electrical parts, but gives off an electromagnetic field higher than a refrigerator that I can point a temperature gun at, and he, he will go from 74 degrees to 54 degrees in a few seconds. This is unheard of. This is an entity. And, you know, so many people have said, why would you keep that thing? Why, why would you keep, why wouldn't you get rid of it? And the same thing I say to my guys that run the other way is that's what I, this is my job. When you have, I mean, this is a once in a lifetime find. So why would I, why would I get rid of it? This is like the Holy grail of the paranormal to me, you know, I mean, and it's, it's not the only thing I'm investigating, obviously, but as far as if I were to rank my past 20 some years, he's number one Mm -hmm. because I can't disprove anything. You know, most of the time you can disprove stuff or at least give a paranormal reason for it. Right. Um, in, In my mind, this stillborn baby that was supposed to be born in 1967, the soul, if you want to call it that, I prefer to call it energy, went from that child into that doll. And a lot of people think, well, there's a child in that doll. I don't think so. I think there's probably at this point almost a 60-year-old man in that doll. And, you know, you have to kind of suspend belief or disbelief there for a minute because it's like, how do we learn as human beings? Through observation, period. You, you, you learn how to do anything by observation. So if there is an entity in that doll that started out as an infant, mentally, he would be almost 60 years old simply by watching everything around it to me that makes perfect sense especially when we've seen and and captured an older man coming through our house hearing a male's voice not a child giggling nothing like that everything related to norman is like an older man wow it's crazy it's really crazy Uh, oh so i mean question of mine is Can can you track what what entity is in it, or do you believe that it is a a human spirit or something else altogether? That's a good question. I I, I don't I don't want to say I just I I I don't subscribe to I, I just I don't like the word demon because demon always attaches religion to it. Okay. Right, that's why right. I say other entity, not necessarily right. demon, I, I, right? I believe that if you were a bad person in real life, if you want to say it that way, uh, if you were a rapist, a murderer, or whatever, guess what you're going to be in the afterlife? Right. 
you're going to be an evil person. If you were a murderer, except you got attributes we don't have, you know, so you're even worse. But I, I think whatever it is, is beyond what I can even begin to explain because we have seen that night. I saw the old man come from what used to be my stepdaughter's room to the room that actually Norman was kept in. It was this old man. So that, that would give you the male human form. One of the most detailed things I've ever seen. Most of the time, it's like a shadowy figure, you know, with, with other investigations, you know, just solid black. Something. This w- was detailed as an old man. And, but before that had even happened during Hurricane Matthew, it was that solid black kind of self-illuminating eyes kind of look. So I, it's hard to say. You know, I guess I answer your question like this. You know, people people always say, hey, I've investigated this location and we're dealing with a little girl. Well, why do you think you're dealing with a little girl? Well, the EVPs sound like a little girl or the or the EVPs are, are saying I'm a, one hurricane. Another time I see an old man, we don't know what the limitations are. So we don't know what is actually I, I just know there's a negative energy. That's what I can say for certain putting a name to it or anything like that forget about it i don't think that'll ever happen okay so do do you find that when you've taken him on investigations or even in your own home with some of these haunted objects you have does he tend to get along with other spirits or is it is he more aggressive that's that's the interesting part is using the paranormal to investigate the paranormal I thought about that. I thought, okay, I'm going to take him to some locations where the activity is benign. I'm not about to take him to a location where he can start a justice league of (laughs) evil entities. You know what I'm saying? So this was fantastic. And I got this on film. So I I take him to this. um, It was a former uh, Haitian slave refuge that uh, this family had bought the property and they converted it into a, um, a nonprofit. So it, it was, uh, what do you want to call it? It's just a, an old looking barn that was like a thrift store kind of, and they had activity at this location. Well, I investigated this location many times and it turned out it was the client's father completely, you know, no, nothing bad. So I thought, you know what? I'll take him there. I'll take him there first just to see if anything happens. Well, the clients wanted to check it out and the client's brother really wanted to check it out. Yeah. His name was Chris. (laughs) I really hope he is listening to this. Okay. (laughs) He is one of the biggest skeptics I have ever seen in my life. So I'm, I'm filming everything They they have a, like a, a counter area in this building, you know, where they cash people out or whatnot. And I got a camera set up. I've got one I'm holding and Norman's just sitting on the counter. So Angie, the client, uh, you know, says, hey, do you want this? And she goes to hand Norman a cross and he says, Angela, no. Just like that. What are the chances? Right. Right. So Chris is still sitting there like, yeah, okay, Right. He's like, "Okay, if you're really doing something, you know, can you make the lights flicker and the lights flicker on cue? Now, it's an old building. I can let that one go. This one is for the books, guys. Okay. Chris grabs his cell phone 
he starts scrolling through his cell phone and he goes like this to Norman up to Norman's face, maybe about six inch inches from Norman's face. And we're all standing around there. Like what is Chris doing? We can't see what Chris has on the screen. And you can clearly see that in the video. Chris says, okay, Norman, if you are, are real or however he worded it, tell me who this is in this picture. And it was quiet for a second. And then Norman said, Jacob. And Chris's face went white as a ghost. And he just kind of sat back and goes, damn. And we're like, what, what? He goes, I just showed him a picture of my son, Jacob, who lives up north, you know, with, with his mother. So what are the chances of Norman is completely self-aware of what's around him. And I think taking him to spiritually active locations, I think because there are objects in here already haunted, like this Dybbuk behind me, that he just pulls from all that, like anything energy wise does. We do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was pretty incredible. I mean, I, no, I didn't even know Chris had a son. So yeah, that was, that was pretty mind blowing. <laughs> to say the least. So uh, something that I find super interesting about this is um, I don't know if you know who Chris Moon is. Not personally. I do know the name somehow. Okay. Uh, well, uh, he inherited one of the original Frank's boxes from Frank mm-hmm. himself um, mm-hmm. and had started communicating with what he called his, um, I believe he's, he calls them his tech team or, or whatever on the other side. Um, so he would go around to events and um, bring uh, his spirit guide would bring other people's loved ones from the other side to talk through this Frank's box. Um, a former friend of mine confirmed, yeah, that was my, that was my uncle's voice on there. So it, it, it kind of fascinates me that you've brought Norman along because he has kind of become your Frank's box to a certain degree. Yeah, it's it's interesting, man. It, it I it was just it was never intended to be like an ongoing thing, and I don't take him on every investigation. It it's maybe one out of ten, um, and these are locations that that I've investigated for years, so I already know what's there or what's not. But it was more of a, an experiment, and that little session up in Virginia kind of sparked that, like. What could he do somewhere else? What could he do in a place that's haunted? Let's find out. Right. <laughs> and we did. You know, it's awesome. <laughs> so, I mean, you you had this idea that the spirit, whatever's attached to Norman, is an evil entity um, based on whatever evidence you've collected. So the question is, do you think that he was naturally... I don't know what better word to make it other than like born an evil entity, or if he was human, that was like a child that went into it and grew up. Why do you think he became evil over time? Is it because he's trapped or my, my theory is um, like any of us. Okay. We, we all have things we like, we all have things we dislike. Um, for instance, you know, I, if there's rape in a movie, I won't watch the movie. I just, I can't get into that. I don't like that kind of stuff, you know? So with him, my theory is he's bitter 
because he never got to live the life that he thought he was going to live. He got to watch his sister do it. Okay, now she gave up the doll when she was in her 50s, and that's how it ended up at the antique shop. Okay. And she donated it to the shop, told the ladies, you know, that she believed you know, pretty much everything we just talked about. And the lady, the little girl who grew up never had any luck with men, multiple divorces. Um, f- from what I've gathered, because he's come at me, he's he's rarely kind of went violent towards my wife or any girl. Now he's tried to scare him almost like a power trip kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's never harmed them. I mean, there's been shoving and stuff like that, but never like he's come at me, you know, trying to burn me down to the ground. Right. Uh, I think, I think he's got a thing against males. And if a male is in the picture, he wants them out so he can take their place. So he looked, it looks at my wife and at the time, uh, my stepdaughter who lived with us as his situation all over. So they were surrogates. Hannah would have been his sister and my wife would have been his mom. So get me out of the picture and he's got what he never had. So that that's all theory, just based on, on what I've seen, trying to make sense of it. I can't say that as fact, but it makes sense knowing all the little details and coming at the males it it just it just makes sense to me i don't think he was born evil um i just think it's it's a bitterness like we all get upset about things and hold grudges and you know i got a friend i haven't talked to in 15 years because of something stupid 15 years ago you know what i mean so i i don't think um he's gonna bust out with any horns or anything uh, of course, I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Now, after this conversation, the right. doll will grow in horns. And, um, well, another theory on kind of what you're talking about is if he witnessed his, his sister go through these horrible relationships, he finds that men are negative and doesn't want women to go through that again. It doesn't matter if he witnesses a man being good or not. That's an interesting perspective because, you know, honestly, I've never really considered that. I, I looked at her, her issues with relationships was because of him trying to get too, them true. out, yeah. you know, but that's an interesting perspective, Justin. I, I never thought of that, that, you know, maybe she was just naturally unlucky with men and that put a bad taste in his mouth. Right. You know, it's interesting. Well, we are coming close to the end of the show, so we wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find you, find your books. Uh, I read that you have a podcast as well, so the mic is all yours to give them all that info. Okay, thank you. The The podcast is a lot of fun. It's um, I've done podcasting for like 12, 13 years. I just kind of keep changing format. I've always done it by myself, and this time I wanted a co-host. So I got a, a really good friend of mine, Rick Hale, who's also a paranormal researcher and also an author. Um, he lives in Chicago. Um, <laughs> always talking his Chicago talk. But I uh, got him because we're kind of like-minded and we do a show called Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk. Um, it's actually started as Shadow Initiative Paranormal TV, where we did it as a video version on YouTube. 
And the first season's still there. It's still like that. And I, that was my doing because I wanted people to actually see what we were talking about. You know, when I was showing evidence, they could actually see it instead of just listening to two old guys talk about it. <laughs> and it just got to be too much work, you know, putting together like a mm. two hour video show. So we went to podcasts. So author Stephen Lancaster is where you can find everything on me. I've got the site down right now because I'm doing a major upgrade. Um, books are on Amazon. If you got Travel Channel or Discovery Plus, um, you can search up all the episodes I've done. My ghost story, a haunting a couple times, um, documentary on Amazon Prime uh, called Phantom, The Haunting of Brentwood Wine Bistro, which a haunting just did an episode on last Friday night. Um, it was okay. <laughs> it was <laughs> another one of those. We're going to pick and choose out of 10 years worth of research what you did and whittle it down to 42 minutes. Right. So, <laughs> read the books. <laughs> That's all I got to say. <laughs> But that's about it. You know, I'm a real, real accessible guy. I, I love talking the paranormal. So just find me on Facebook and we'll talk about it. Awesome. All right, Stephen, thank you for being on Paratruth Radio. Thank you guys for having me. I haven't talked Norman in a long time. It surprised me. All right, folks, that was Stephen Lancaster, author of Norman and Norman 2, as well as several other books through Llewellyn. Uh, make sure you check him out. We're going to go to a quick break where you'll hear Eric's random fact of the day and a quick commercial, and we will be right back with Paratruth Radio. Now, Eric's random fact of the day. Did you know that there is speculation that the Black Plague ran rampant due to a lack of cats? According to Medium.com, during the late 1200s and early 1300s, fear gripped Europe, leading people to believe that cats, especially black cats, were linked to Satan worship, Egyptian cults, and witchcraft. This resulted in a mass persecution of cats. They were beaten to death on the streets, burned on the stake, and tortured. It is believed that after this horrible incident, rats began to overrun Europe as they had no predators to limit their number. The result was the Black Plague, which ended up in the death of nearly half of all Europeans, making it the most fatal pandemic in human history. This was Eric's random fact of the day. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And as always, I'm Justin. We just got off the line with Stephen Lancaster, who is the author of Norman and Norman too. Uh, pretty cool to have somebody on who can 
give us firsthand experiences with a haunted object, such as especially a doll, because we, we've come mm-hmm. across dolls over and over again uh, in our research. Um, and we've talked a little, as you said, like with Annabelle and stuff, we've talked about it. Um, but being able to get in depth as to what he's experiencing and how this uh, particular entity or doll or whatever you want to call it uh, has manifested itself over the years and possibly even changed itself um, in terms of mm. emotion and uh, power, I guess. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, it gets me thinking of various haunted objects that I would love to collect, but <laughs> at the same time, don't want to, you know, Add to the power that's already in this house. It's kind of goofy. <laughs> you don't want a collection like Stephen has? Is that what you're telling me? I mean, no, the thing is I do, but I already know what lives in this house, and I don't want to have to empower <laughs> it more by giving it more energy. So. <laughs> or have this, like uh, uh, Stephen was talking about, a uh, justice, evil Justice League in your house. An evil Justice League, the anti-Justice League. <laughs> or like maybe some type of conflict between the multiple entities where it causes so much turmo- turmoil in the house that you're just like, just burn this thing to the ground. I'm right. I'm going. I'm leaving this place. <laughs> Whatever. Done. Mom, dad, sorry. Sorry to fire in the house. It, the entities just got to me. There's a fire upstairs uh, and a flood in the basement. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Stephen, like, I, I truly enjoyed talking to him just because he's been in the business longer than we have as far as paranormal investigation, but podcasting for as long as we have. Um, and he kind of has a collection with these things and kind of like, I'm sure the person he was talking about, um, it, it's just interesting because you would think you wouldn't want these things around. Like most people wouldn't want haunted things in their home. It's... So he, he takes it upon himself to get rid of them for them. Yeah. You know, and I think, and that's probably something we, we should have asked, but I didn't even think about it. Not, but now that you brought it up, I feel like when it comes to haunted objects or hauntings, even depending on the person, there's like a spiritual awareness that when that, particular entity is gone no matter how scary it was or whatever there's kind of a longing for it like i can't Mm. tell you how often and it's it's weird um but like the whole demonic thing that i went through years ago there are times where i wish it was still happening like that's weird that's (laughs) really weird but there's like this longing where it's like man i like i remember the things that i saw back then i remember the nightmares that i had there's like a feeling behind it that i almost enjoyed um and it's probably the reason why some of these people continue to collect haunted objects and store up these uh, these spiritually charged artifacts, uh, because there is that kind of energy that they feel attached to and vice versa. Um, and that's the only thing I could really think of. I mean, other than, of course, just doing the research, you know, uh, but yeah, it's, it's weird. Do you think that's what it is for yourself? You, you wish it was ha- happening still because you would like to document it more because you were um, not necessarily documenting the activity per se, but you would always write down your dreams and stuff like that. Right. I did. Which I wish I didn't lose that. Like right. it was that last <laughs> 2009 dog on it. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I, I think in part it's probably wanting to do the documentation, the research on it, which I didn't do back then. Didn't really, we weren't doing this really. We weren't doing any podcasting or anything yet. Uh, it was all very new. Uh, but like nowadays, yeah, I mean, that's something I would love to do. But it kind of goes beyond that because there's, and I, the only thing I could think of is like it's the same reason that people go to see scary movies. There is mm. a certain adrenaline rush that you get when something's happening. You know, and it's the same thing when I have my the the, the night paralysis that I have regularly. Uh, it's really scary at the time, especially uh, when there's an entity involved in it. And then I wake up in the morning and I'm like, that was wild. You know, like it's <laughs> it's hard to fathom and understand it, but it's I don't know. It's maybe I'm just sick. I don't know. <laughs> you know, sick, <laughs> sick in the head or something. I don't know. Um, but no, I, I mean, seriously, I think there's, there's probably some sort of uh, adrenaline rush that, that people get. Uh, people like myself, people like like Stephen, who, who, who has all those haunted objects and so many other people. We, we've talked to people who've other people who've had have haunted objects in their house. Um, and I don't know. It's I guess it's one of those things you just can't really fully pinpoint, you know. Right. There's just some oh. people who have them and some who don't. Just like 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 you're bringing up haunted haunted uh, or uh, scary movies, horror movies. Yeah. Um, same thing with using the Ouija board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you and I have have talked on air and and off air about how the paranormal is a type of addiction. Like it is. You and I can't get away from it as much as we've thought about it or even tried we've tried to get away from it. <laughs> it doesn't work it follows you know there yeah there are there are some people i think who can get into the paranormal and we've talked to people who've gotten into the mm. paranormal and then they've walked away because it's whatever for whatever reason um but then there's us who have walked away from it and it called us back you know um tried to avoid it at all costs and then something shows up in the living room that should not be there you know uh or things move and wouldn't say hmm well, this is interesting let's 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 figure this out and you dive right back in um right. yeah dude i don't I, I think it's just there are certain individuals who are i hate to say spiritually awakened uh but they're they're spiritually they're like a conductor right so like mm-hmm. you and I are, are conductors, right? Um, it kind of gravitates, this paranormal activity gravitates towards us and not just that, but then it's that, um, that insistent uh, or consistent pounding on our heads and our minds that are like, Hey, we need to, we need to look into this. We need to hear more. We need to read more. We need to document more. Uh, and so we continue to dive deeper and deeper, and deeper. And here we are with this podcast that wasn't supposed to be here because we were walking away, you know, and now it's right. eight years later or 14 years was whatever, however long it's been eight years, right. For, for this one, <laughs> for paratruth, it's been yeah. since 2014. So yeah. Okay. Eight years going on eight years. Yeah. Yeah. So with that being said, um, I hope you guys enjoyed Norman and Norman to uh, Stephen Lancaster. Like I said, I, I, I loved talking to him and I don't know why, but like last week we had on Tony Evans this week, we had Stephen Lancaster, both uh, Southern guys, Southern deep Southern accents. And maybe that's part of it. Cause there are people that like love the English accents. I love the Southern 
<laughs> Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was fun to talk to him and, ju- and just uh, uh, shoot shoot the shit with him. Um, yeah. But uh, next week, uh, we will be having on uh, Kim Carpenter uh, to talk about uh, chakras and more specifically the higher chakras. So I'll be super mm-hmm. interested to talk to her about that because I'm not really sure what the higher chakras are. I, I know the the five five or six basic ones that are in the 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 bigger ones in your body. Um, I think so it'll be the, I mean I and I, I could be wrong. This is like speculation on my part, but I think the higher chakras in this case and it's probably more like the upper chakras. So like the the third eye, the head, the, the oh. throat, you know, those those areas, I think is what she's referring to. Okay. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what she means by higher chakras and then uh, go a little more in depth because on Paratruth Radio, I don't think we've ever gone in depth on the chakra system or anything. No. Um, then the following week, it, it's kind of open. So we'll probably have a, a down the rabbit hole or maybe have a specific um, topic that we, we will discuss just us. So if you guys have any suggestions, uh, definitely reach out to us on paratruth.com or any of the social medias. Uh, we're we're pretty much everywhere, as we've always said. Um, make sure you are checking out uh, Evergreen Podcasts and KillerPodcasts.com. Uh, we're super stoked because the Mallard Report is now on Killer Podcasts with us. Um, took them a, a little while to get on board. So, Jim, welcome to KillerPodcasts.com. Um, Anything else you can think of housekeeping wise or anything? Uh, no, I think now that the holidays are over, it's kind of like, all right, let's just smooth coast this, you know, right. take it easy. Oh yeah. We're, <laughs> we're in 2022. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, make sure you're checking all that out. Um, and that is pretty much it. We've got a lot of great stuff coming for you guys. We're going to keep the guests coming. Um, mix it up with a just Eric and I episode here and there. But uh, until next week, folks, where you'll find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.